15, please. Luke 15. Luke, Luke, chapter 15. It's a lengthy reading. I'm not going to keep you standing for the whole thing. I won't torture you like that, okay? Luke 15 and verse 3. When you're there, say amen. All right, Luke 15 and verse 3. I'm reading from New Living Translation here. I like the clarity of it. It just makes things a little easier to understand. Uh, so this is parables, okay? I like parables. It's uh, Jesus uses these quite often to teach us very deep subjects in a simple manner. So we're going to dive right in. Um, actually, let's just start at verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So, Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he finds it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Verse 8, another parable. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she'll call together her friends and her neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, we're going to have a party, because I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Amen, amen. You can be seated. Praise God. Amen. We're going to keep reading here. Verse 11, yet another parable. <clears throat> to illustrate the, point, illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now before you die. Basically saying, you're dead to me. I want, I want my money. Give it to me. That's basically what he said, okay? So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved off to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him to the fields to work with the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything to eat. When he finally came to his senses, I like that verse, when he finally came to his senses, he woke up, amen. That'll preach right there. Amen. He said to himself, At home even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am, sitting here dying of hunger over here. I will go home to my father. And I will say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and against you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. He says, I'm, not, I'm barely worthy to even be your servant here. 
Okay. So he returned home to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran out to meet him, embraced him, kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and against you, and I am not worthy of being called your son. But his father said, yeah, stop with that hogwash. He said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, kill the fatted calf. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. Amen. Amen. So the moral of this is, heaven likes to have parties, okay? I like to have parties too, don't you? Amen. We like parties. (laughs) Amen. I this. You know, when I was I was studying for this and praying, asking the Lord what He wanted me to go into. He put one word on my on my heart, and that word is salvation. And I said, hmm, there's about a thousand things I could go into under salvation. What are we going to do? And then so the Lord started working with me a little more, and it's turned into this is going to be lesson one in a series, okay? We're going to see, I don't know, it's going to be at least two or three different lessons we're going to teach you over the next few weeks. Um, if the Lord wants more, we're going to do more. We're just going to see what happens. Amen. It's going to be on salvation, okay? Um, we're going to start with repentance. That's Because that's kind of where, where the, the whole foundation is, is repentance. You can't achieve the ultimate goal of salvation without repentance. Amen? <laughs> what is salvation, though? Well... We all have our own little ideas, but it's all wrapped up in, I believe, in Acts 2, chapter 38. We all know what it says. The, the men and brethren, what shall we do? They were all convicted once all the preaching had got going over there. And then Peter, we all know it, say it with me. Then Peter said unto them, repent, be baptized, everyone. Come on, you know it. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For what? The remission or the forgiveness of sin. Amen. And what? And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's salvation in a nutshell right there. But it goes deeper than that. Amen. It's more than just that. Is salvation important? It's important to me. I hope it's important to you. Amen. I have a lot of scripture. Fair warning. I'm letting scripture do the talking here. Okay. I don't want this to be conceived as, oh, this is just Brother Tyler's theology and and, and thoughts here. No, it's coming straight from scripture. I want the Lord to talk through this. Amen. You don't have to turn to every scripture I'm going to. If you're a note-taking type of person, I encourage you to kind of jot it down, maybe bookmark it in your phone or something like that, to go over later. John chapter 1. Let me jump forward over here. John chapter 1 and verse 6 says, God sent a man, John the Baptist, or John Baptist, to tell about the light so everyone might believe of his te- might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. To anyone who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming unto the world. John Baptist came up, start, he was the way maker, so to speak, for this. Amen. 
as we skip down a little bit here, 13, verse 12 says, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Amen. What is that saying is? That says this is our ticket into the family of God. That's what it says. It's our it's our VIP pass to get right in. Amen. It's the only way to enter heaven. I want to go to heaven. I don't know about you, but I, I, that's my end goal here, okay? Amen. And you cannot achieve heaven without first achieving salvation. Amen. Amen. You can't do it. How do you achieve salvation? Anybody can rattle off Acts 2.38 and their salvation. Well, it... For us, it's kind of old news because we've been in it for so long, right? It's like, well, yeah, I know what salvation is. But when your friend off the street says, hey, tell me about this salvation that you talk about. What are you going to tell them? You're going to look like a deer in the headlights sometimes. Be like, oh, let me call my pastor. You don't always have time to call your pastor, okay? Amen. This, the, the, what I'm intending for this series is I want it to end up being where you can take it and do your Bible studies when you're witnessing to your friends and to your neighbors. And you say, hey, look, I remember this teaching. And you have all this list of more tools in your toolbox, so to speak. Amen. You're sharpening your swords and stuff, getting it ready. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to bounce around over here. Chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, get out of here. I never knew you. Get away from me, those of you who break God's laws. Without salvation, we don't get to heaven. That's what it is, okay? Without there, There's no... We can't skip around and say, well, I might do a little bit of this and I might make it to heaven. No, it's, it's a one-shot deal, okay? And it's not just a once saved, always saved thing. I'm sorry for those people who preach it. Get mad at me if you want to. It's not once saved, always saved. It's a process. It requires dedication from us. Amen? <sighs> Amen. How do you achieve salvation? How do we do it? Where, where, where do you start? Well, we start with repentance. Amen. Through grace, we're not saved through our own power. We're not. It's not us. We're saved through grace. Amen. And to prove it, let's go to Ephesians. I said I'm going to be bouncing through a bunch of different scriptures here. I, I warned you ahead of time, okay? Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to verse 8 over here. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You cannot take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Basically what that saying is, you might think you have all the power in the world, but I, God's saying I hold the ultimate power. Amen? Amen. Over the course of the series we have here, we're going to uncover, I believe, what, what's the path to salvation. 
we're not going to be just skimming over the top, okay? I want to dive deep a little bit into this with the Lord's help. We're going to get into it and sharpen all our tools together. Amen? Amen. <sighs> the first step to salvation, repentance. Amen? Well, what is repentance? Well, it's the turning away from your sin. That's the best way I can describe it. It's not just, a, oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. It's, God, I realize I, I've messed up. <laughs> I'm in trouble here, okay? And I don't, and it, it, it's, your mindset is, I don't want to just be forgiven of this. I want to turn away from my sin. You're going one direction towards sin, and you have to change your mindset, change your will, change your purpose facing God and the things of God. Amen? Luke chapter 13. Luke 13, starting at verse 1. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering, offering sacrifices at the temple. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee, Jesus asked? Being very sarcastic, of course. I can, you know, he, he got kind of fed up with some of the things that was going on over here. Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you too will perish unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. What about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. I tell you, he repeated it again here. He says, unless you repent, you too will perish. What's that saying? Is that saying by repentance is optional? Yeah, if you choose to, that's okay. No, that's saying if you don't want to perish, you got to repent. If you want salvation, you've got to repent. It's non-negotiable. There's, there's some things that the Lord leads us, you know, through the Bible that kind of seems like a little bit of a gray area a little bit with certain things. But then there's other things that he makes it clear as day, this is non-negotiable. I'm not budging one little bit on this. And repentance is one of those things. It is non-negotiable. He says, if you want to get to heaven, you got to repent. And I said this already, but repentance is more than just, oh, I'm sorry. It's more than that. You can, we, there's so many people going to get to the judgment throne of God. And, oh, yeah, I've repented of my sins. I'm saved. But did you really repent? Did you really turn from your sins? Well, no, I figured I could, you know, the Lord's always forgiving, and I can just repent again later on. And then later on, and then you get into this habit, right, where you're not actually turning from your sins. You're just trying to soothe your guilty conscience a little bit. That's just what it is. Without repentance, we are sure to perish, sure to sink into eternal darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth, rather than to eternal life, light, and joy. Who's called to repentance? Who's it for? Well, last I checked, it's for every single one of us. Amen? It's not just for one or two. It's not just for the pastor. It's for everybody. Everybody. Amen. We are called to repentance. John Baptist comes out in Matthew chapter 3, and he calls us to repentance. He says, prepare the way. Get ready. 
Someone, he's coming. He's greater than me. He's coming. You better have your hearts right. You better be ready. It's the call to repentance. Amen. Jesus himself comes out in Matthew chapter 4. Bounce over here. Matthew chapter 4 and in 17, he says, From then on Jesus began to preach, Repent of your sins. Not just repent. Turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. King James says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it's more than just saying, Lord, I'm sorry. It's turning from your sins. Rejecting your old self and accepting God, rejecting the things of the world, accepting the things of God. It's not, you can't be picky and choosy here, my friend. Can't do it. You can't, well, I'm going to have a little bit over here, but I'm still looking towards God and going, no, 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 no. That doesn't happen, okay? Well, you can do it on this earth, but you're in for a surprise, okay? That's just what I'm... Amen. (sighs) Who has to tell people about repentance? Who's called for it? Well, last I checked, it's everybody, right? It's everybody. It's not just up to the pastor or not just up to the Sunday school teacher or the Bible study teacher. It's everybody. Go ye to all the world. Now, who's you? It's you and me. Go. Preach the gospel. Reach these people. Bring them in. Ah, but but I'm, I stutter, Lord. I, I, I can't do it. Well, I'm going to give you somebody who can talk for you. He, he, argue with God all you want to. He's going to make a way. That's just what's going to happen, okay? He will make a way one way or the other. Mark chapter 6. Amen. Mark chapter 6 and verse 12. So the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. They didn't say just repent. They said, you got to turn to God, too. See the theme here? Some people say, oh, all you got to do is repent. we got clear scriptural evidence that says, no, there's more to it than just saying, Lord, I'm sorry. Amen. They cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Go out. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Repent. Turn. We see it over and over and over again. Amen. Forgiveness comes only through repentance. There's no other, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. No two ways about it. If you want to be forgiven, you got to repent. You've got to, straight up. There's no other way about it. Amen? Peter and Paul preached repentance in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. You see that? Acts chapter 17, Paul preaches repentance here. Acts 17 and down to verse 30. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone anywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he has proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. That's Paul coming out and saying, look, you got to do this. There's the... we. we he tried. That's what I like about Paul. He comes out and he doesn't mince his words. He doesn't beat around the bush. He just gets right to it. That's just what he does. We see the conditions of salvation laid out many times through Scripture. And as I said already, this is one of those things 
that the Lord does not leave us any wiggle room with. He doesn't. He says, to get to A or to get to B, you got to do A. That's just what you got to do. You can't take a shortcut. You can't take your GPS that says go off over here and you make it there quicker. You just can't do it. You got to, the way, the truth, and the light, you got to follow it. You got to go. That's just what it says, okay? Acts chapter 20 and all the way down at verse 21 says, I have had one message for the Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. The necessity. It's necessary. Not only is it non-negotiable, it's necessary. There's some things like, you know, I'm not the best chef in the world. I'm not. I'll tell you that. My mom can point to that. I'm not. <laughs> but even I know that there's some things when you're, when you're following a recipe that are kind of a little bit negotiable. You can add a little bit more here and maybe a little bit less over here. And it'll still turn out pretty good. This is not one of those things, Okay. You cannot add or subtract, or subtract from the recipe of salvation and still get to the same result. You just can't do it. Straight up, you just can't do it, okay? It is necessary. I would argue there's some ingredients in some recipe books that really aren't necessary. That's just straight up, okay? This is an ingredient that is necessary. Amen? It's necessary for salvation. Amen? Praise God. Heaven rejoices when even one sinner comes to repentance. So if you think that you're sitting out here and we're struggling through this world, and it's hard sometimes, it really is, and you get thinking, man, I've been trying to win souls. I've been trying to talk to people about God, but it just seems like nothing's ever happening. But then you get down and you start thinking about it. Well, there was this one person who I talked to who ended up coming to church and repenting and, and down the road ended up getting the Holy Ghost, living for God and going, think about it. All that work has not been for nothing. Heaven throws a party for it. Amen. The devil likes to sit there and, and sit on our shoulders and tell us, bah, don't even worry. It's just one person. There's billions of people in the world. It just, it's, you haven't done much. It's just one person. Why even bother trying anymore? Well, I'm here to tell you that there's a party thrown every time. Every day. They got, they, and they don't just do a little party. They go all out, okay? They got parties galore up in heaven. Amen? And I like to think that every time they have a party in heaven about one sinner coming to repentance that they list out the name of the person who brought that sinner to repentance. I like I, I don't have any scriptural evidence for that, but I believe that's going to come down to our rewards when we get to heaven. There's going to be a long a list of things, right? Oh, you brought so and so to repentance. There's an extra check on your on your report sheet there for that. That's what I like to think. It might not do, but you know. Left to interpretation there. Amen. <sighs> so what is repentance? We touched on that a little bit ago. In short, repentance is the changing of one's heart and one's mind. Not just your mind, but your mindset. There's a difference there. Amen. Turning away from your sin and turning towards God and the things of God. You've got to totally abandon your old self. That's just what you have to do. You can't just, you can't be picky and choosy. Man, I really like that portion of my old self. 
<laughs> you can't do that. Because that's proven in Scripture that that just leads to you falling off the path later on down the road. So that's why it's taught to us you've got to just, it's like you tear the page out, throw it away. It's gone. And you're moving on to bigger and better things. Amen. In order to fully see what repentance is, we've got to start with what it is not. We all know, oh, well, yeah, I know what repentance is. Well, you probably do, but let's dive into it a little more. Amen. What is repent? What what repentance is not? What is not repentance? Conviction is not repentance. Amen. We can feel convicted of our sin, but we can turn around and not repent of our sin. <laughs> Repentance includes conviction, but does not solely consist of conviction. It's an ingredient to the recipe, but it's not the only ingredient to the recipe. Amen? We have an example of this in Acts chapter 24. I believe we all... Either know this story or have heard of this story. This is Felix, the governor there of the region. Paul is on trial and in one of Paul's many uh, terrible circumstances that he found himself in for the work of God. Uh, down to the middle of the story, verse 24. A few days later, Felix came back with his wife, uh, sending for Paul, they listened as he told them about faith in Christ Jesus, as he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the day, coming day of judgment. Felix became frightened. So Paul was imprisoned, but he still preached the gospel. He said, you can tie me up, you can throw me in a cage all you want to, but I'm still going to preach the gospel. Amen. Amen. So he preached to Felix. Not only was he preaching to just another person, he was preaching to the governor of the land, one of the big leaders over there. And Felix felt conviction. We've all felt conviction, right? We all know it don't feel good, does it? It's, it does not feel good, okay? Felix was convicted. It says he became frightened. But, it's, you know, you, you can become frightened while being convicted all at the same time. Felix, I believe Felix realized something's not right here. I'm living wrong. But it was not convenient for Felix at this time. It literally says here, Felix got frightened and he yelled at Paul. He told Paul, go away for now. Go. When it's more convenient, I will call for you again. So you can feel conviction. But... It's just not a good time, Lord. I'm in a good spot in my life right now, Lord. It's not convenient for me. Reminiscent of when the Lord's out calling people to him. Oh, yeah. I'll follow you. Yeah, Lord. Yeah, yeah, I'll follow you. But but hold on, hold on. It's not quite convenient yet. I gotta go, I gotta go bury my dad over here. I gotta go say bye to these people over here. I gotta get my affair. It's not convenient right now. Repentance is never convenient. I'm gonna say it again. Repentance is never convenient. And I would argue that it was never meant to be convenient. 
Amen. If it was convenient, it would not be repentance. Amen. Amen. Repentance involves dying to oneself. We're going to get there in a minute. I'm jumping a little bit ahead. But dying to yourself is not convenient. Turning from what you like and what you love, that you think you love, is not convenient. Leaving your old self is not convenient. Not on this world anyways. Amen. But it'll prove to be the best thing you ever did. Amen. (sighs) Praise God. I jumped ahead of myself. Let's get back on track here. Uh, Turning away from sin and turning towards God and the things of God. Conviction. We talked about that. Sorrow is not repentance. Amen. While repentance includes feelings of sorrow or feeling sorrowful, also includes remorse, feeling remorseful. It does not solely consist of those. Again, it's an ingredient to the recipe, but it's not the entire recipe. Amen. You can feel sorrowful and not repent. Amen. You can feel remorse, but not repent. Second Corinthians 7. Forgive my sniffles, I got allergies going galore here. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 7. We see this is Paul yet again. He's preaching to the church at Corinth, sending letters. Paul had to be pretty mean to the church at Corinth sometimes, okay? So here, to a little bit of context, he sent a previous letter to him. He wasn't the nicest of people to these people, okay? He laid, he, I said a little bit ago, he laid it right out. He doesn't cut corners, doesn't beat around the bushes. He just goes right to the meat of things. And, and he says, you're mad at me or you want to. Don't shoot the messengers coming from God. Amen. So verse 8 says, I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, Though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now, I'm glad I sent it. Not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was kind, it was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. The good sorrow leads you to repentance. Amen. And it says a little go a little bit down here, there's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. So again, you can feel sorry, you can be sorrowful, and you can still not repent. Amen. <laughs> Hatred of sin is not repentance. You can hate the sin, you can hate your sin, and you can still not repent. Amen? Why repentance, again, it, it, it's an ingredient to the recipe, but it's not the whole recipe. We love the sinner, yet we hate the sin. It does, repentance includes hatred of sin, but it does not solely consist of hatred of sin. 
You can loathe the sin and still not repent. Hating, hating the sin alone is not repentance. Amen. This one kind of got to me. We all kind of experienced this quite a bit. Promising to be better is not repentance. We all get into a habit sometimes. Oh, man, I got to do better. I know, man, I've been doing pretty bad. I just, I got to do better. I'm going to do better. I promise I'm going to do better. Pastor, I promise I'm going to do better at this. I promise, I promise, I promise. Promising to do better is not repentance, okay? Uh, That's our conscience kicking in. Your conscience kicks in and talks to you, hey, you know that's not right. Come on, you got to change. And we talk to ourselves back, well, yeah, I know, just shut up, get back, shut up, shut up, shut up. I'm not the only one, okay? I know we all do it. You can you can ignore me all you want to, okay? <laughs> uh, amen. Uh, in our main reading that we read a little bit ago, the story of the prodigal son. I love that story. It's one of the, there's a lot of really good stories, but it's one of my favorite in the Bible there. He determined to do better. Luke chapter 15 and verse 18, I'm not going to pull it up here, but he, he, he was sitting over there, sitting in the pigsty, and he came to his senses. He's like, man, I done messed up over here. He said, even the servants at my dad's house are, are better off than I am. But he said, I got to do better. He came to the determination, but that determination alone was not repentance. Make sense? Amen? We can determine to do better. We can promise to do better, but we can still not repent. Amen? Uh. Uh, We've all heard the saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? Oh, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. I'll repent. I'll repent. I promise I'm going to repent. One day turns into another day. Turns Before I know it, 20 years go by and well, Lord help us. Lord help us. Amen. Turning from a single sin is not repentance. Here's where we kind of get into a little bit of the meat of the issue here. We all like to say, oh, yeah, I've repented. Well, I felt conviction about this one sin. So, yep, I I, I fully repented of that. I turned from that sin. What about the other hundred sins that you're worried, that you're stuck with over there? Well, they're not bothering me too bad, so they're they're, they're okay. I beg to differ, okay? You cannot pick and choose, cherry pick, as they say, which sin you want to repent from. My Bible doesn't, I don't know. If your Bible tells you that, we're going to have to have a look at your Bible. I don't know, okay? My Bible says you got to turn from them all. That's what my Bible says, okay? Man, sin is a symptom of a deeper problem. Think of it as you got a fruit tree, right? Pick your favorite, what's your favorite fruit? I don't know, orange. You got an orange tree. It's going to grow oranges. It's not going to grow apples. It's not going to grow pears. It's not going to grow any. It's going to grow oranges. It goes down to the root, the seed that sprung out the roots and stuff. That's it's it's an orange tree. That's just what it is. And us, we can thank Adam and Eve for this. We're rooted in sin. We're rooted in evil, in, in darkness. That's just what we are. It's unfortunate. I hate that we are, but we are. 
That's just how it is. So our sin is a fruit presented by the deeper problem. Does that make sense? I hope it makes sense. We're rooted in ungodliness. Again, you can thank Adam and Eve for that. When we address the root of the problem, then the fruit of the problem will then be taken care of. How do you address the root of the problem, the root of sin? Well, you got to turn away from it. You got to repent of it. You got to say, God, I need your help. You got to get this out of me, God. And it's not, it's not by our power, not by our might. It's all through the grace of God. Amen. Amen. If you want an apple tree, you're not going to plant a pear tree. Just not going to have, right? It doesn't make sense. Amen. <sighs> Another way to think of it, by default, we are sinful. That's just by default. That's, that's our default programming, so to speak, right? We, we, to think of it, to talk about it in like computer terms here, you get your, your MacBook or your, your HP Windows PC, the default program. You got default program of Windows and default program of whatever Apple's is. I don't know what Apple's. I don't know. Anyways, you got the default programming, right? But you open up that Windows computer, there's certain things that are on there by default. You can change what's on there. You can get in and with some some little wizardry and stuff, you can remove things and add new things. That's what we got to do with sin. Our default programming is to be turned towards sin, turned towards ungodliness. But if we talk to God, God, I need you to reset me, so to speak, and I need you to install your programming on me, then we're no longer programmed to sin. We're then programmed to godliness. Amen. Praise God. That's not saying that once you're programmed for godliness, so to speak, you can't get a virus and start sinning again. We're all human. That's just what happens. It can happen. Amen. Just like with computers, you can have the best firewall protection in the world, and you can still click on the wrong link and let a virus come in, and then you're in trouble. Amen. We as humans can do that. We can... uh, we can fail God and, and, and fall to temptation occasionally, and, and then we let a virus get into our system, okay? It happens. We're human. It happens, okay? You can admit you're not perfect. Amen. <sighs> Does it make sense so far? Amen? That's what repentance is not. So now we've covered what repentance is not. Now we get to the good part. What is repentance? Let's explore. Repentance, it's a change of heart. It's a change of mind. It's a change of mindset. It's a change of purpose. And it's a change of conduct. Changing of the heart is a spiritual experience. Changing of the mindset is an intellectual experience. Changing of feeling, I would say, is more of a physiological experience. And changing of conduct is a moral experience. It's every experience you could ever go through all melded into one. Amen. Repentance does not just include one of these things. It includes all of these things. Amen. The change of mindset. Let's explore this for a minute here. Matthew chapter 21 
Let's see. Matthew 21 and verse 28. But what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, no, I don't want to go. But later on, he changed his mind and he went anyways. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, okay, sure. But he didn't go. Their mindsets were corrupted. Their mindset were on their own uh, their own situation rather than the betterment of the overall situation. Their mindset was twisted. It was one of self-centeredness and selfishness rather than one of selflessness. Amen? They had to change their mindset. And we have to change our mindset too. And we can't do that by ourselves. We do that through the grace of God. Amen? Through grace, you are saved. Amen. Praise God. It's a change in feeling. We literally have to change how we feel towards sin. We talked about how we're rooted in sin, how by default we're programmed for ungodliness and and sinfulness. That's all we know, so it really doesn't seem too bad. But when we come to God and we truly repent, our mindset, our, our feelings towards that sin must change. Amen. We're told to love the sinner yet hate the sin. We've got to truly get to a point where we, we just don't want to live with that sin anymore. It's got to be repulsive. You ever, you, I don't know, you go and you open up a container of food that you thought was fresh and good, but it's, it's rotten and smells disgusting, and you just, get that away from me. We've got to literally have that mindset towards sin. Because, ah, that's not too bad. I can live with that. That's a recipe for a disaster, my friend. Amen. Saul was overwhelmed with guilt and with remorse after his experience on the road to Damascus. We know that story. I'm not going to pull it all up, but he was traveling down the road. This is before he got turned to, got changed his name to Paul. Uh, we know all the horrors that he committed towards the church, towards uh, anybody who claimed to be following God. Um, but God came out and said, "Hey, this has got to stop." We're gonna, I'm going to change your mindset, Paul. I'm going to change your feelings, Paul. So Paul walking down the road thinking, oh, just another day. You know, we know the story. The, the light shines from heaven. He falls down. He's in shock. He doesn't really know what's going on. He has that conversation short and sweet with the Lord. Then he gets up and he's blinded and the whole story continues. We know that. In that short instance, the Holy Ghost touched Paul. The Holy Ghost changed Paul's mindset, changed Paul's perception, changed Paul's feelings. See, because up until then, Paul hated God. Paul hated the things of God. He hated the people of God. So the Holy Ghost touched him and said, I'm going to flip the switch. I'm going to change everything within you. Amen. Praise God. Psalm 38, 19 says, I confess my sins. I am deeply sorry for what I have done. David was full of remorse and begged God for forgiveness in that psalm. Feelings of remorse were so great that it changed their feelings towards sin. 
In Luke chapter 18, we see the publican. We know this, this story. The publican was so remorseful for his sin, he couldn't even so much as look up towards heaven. Instead, he looked at the ground and, and the word says he beat his breast or beat his chest in remorse, begging God for forgiveness. Meanwhile, the Pharisee over there, I'm so glad I'm not like these people over here. Would you look at me? Thank you, Lord, that I'm so good. Whew, Lord have mercy. Amen. The prodigal son in our story that we read earlier, he had such a strong feeling of remorse that he realized that he shouldn't, that, that, that A, he wants to be allowed back, but really he shouldn't even be allowed back into his father's house. He got to, his mindset changed, his feelings changed. He says, man, I've messed up here. By all rights, he shouldn't even let me into his house. But he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to give it my best shot anyways. Praise God. Amen. He came to the conclusion that he wasn't worthy to be any more than a servant. His feelings changed. The prodigal son had feelings of hatred towards his father. He literally, he said, Matt, you're dead to me. Give me my money and I'm gone. The Holy Ghost changed his feelings. Praise God. I'm so glad the Holy Ghost can change us in the blink of an eye, just like that. Amen. Praise God. The change in purpose. One's will is involved in this. The prodigal son determined, he he said, I'm going to go back. I will go back. We talked about how that determination alone is not repentance. It takes action, not just determination. Amen. Once he determined this, he got up and went. It doesn't stop when it just says, oh, he determined I'm going to go back. It says he got up and went. He says, I'm going to head that direction. His purpose switched from that of the worldly side of things. Worldly deeds, parties, lavish living, living for himself rather than living for God. And and the switch flipped. said, man, I got to live for God. I got to do what's right. In God's eyes. Amen. I got to do what's right in my father's eyes. Praise God. It switched to that of being focused on his father's house. Praise God. Psalms 119.59 says, I pondered the direction of my life and I turned to follow your laws. Praise God. It's a change in conduct. We're moving along here. I only have a few more minutes before we got to wrap it up. It's a change in conduct. Zacchaeus in Luke 9, we know the story of Zacchaeus. The, the old little jingle, he was a wee little man. A wee little man was he and climbed up to the sycamore tree to see what he could see. Amen. Well, Zacchaeus, he was, a, he was one of them tax collectors. Nobody liked him. Nobody. They would they blatantly rob people over there, okay? Um, I had planned on pulling up the story, but Luke 19, 1 through 10, go read it later on if you haven't read it in a while. Um, he was a tax collector. Nobody liked him. He knew he was hated, but he didn't care because he could do whatever he wanted to do. But he heard somebody was coming to town. <laughs> and he's a man. There's somebody coming, and I've heard about this man they call Jesus. And he, he, it was a little spark of interest there. 
So he climbed up. He said, and you know, when Jesus came into town, there's just people everywhere. And Zacchaeus being a short little dude, he can't see over everybody. He, Zacchaeus said, you know what? I'm so interested. I'm going to do whatever I got to do to see Jesus. We all got to have that mindset, amen? Whatever I got to do, if it means I got to climb up into the tallest tree around, I'm going to see Jesus. Amen. Uh, praise God. <sighs> Saul, we talked about this already in Acts chapter 9, the road to Damascus. He had a change in his conduct as well. His conduct previously was that of, we talked about it, destroying anything and everything that had to do with God. But his conduct changed to from destroying anything and everything that has to do with God to building up anything and everything that had to do with God. Amen. The jailer in Acts chapter 16, verse 30, we know that story. Paul and Silas in there, in there you know, they're, they're jailed, jailed up again. <laughs> Here we go again. He's in jail again. Okay, every time you turn around, Paul's in jail. Um, and the whole story, you know, Paul and Silas, they're having a praise and worship service in the dark of the jail cell. You know, then the earth, the Lord moves, the earthquake comes, everybody gets freed, the doors open. Jailer comes out, and he's like, "Wait a minute! Last time I, I turned around earlier, and y'all was all locked up, and now y'all free. What happened?" Oh, the jailer was about to kill himself. He said, they're going to kill me. I'm going to take care of it first. Paul said, hey, hold on. Wait a minute. Don't do it. We're all still here. I got good news for you. <laughs> Paul started preaching to the jailer. Amen. Paul preached to anybody and everybody. He didn't care. Amen. So the jailer felt conviction. And he said, what do I got to do to be saved? Paul said, I got just the thing for you. Praise God. So the jailer turned, his conduct changed. Amen. Not only did the jailer change, the jailer's family and everybody who lived in his house changed. Praise God. Amen. Revival started happening in that household. Amen. Praise God. How do you get to repentance? How is repentance brought about? Amen. I'm almost done, okay? I'm on my last page of notes. We're doing good, okay? We're doing good. How do you get to repentance? Well, this is the part nobody likes to talk about, really. 1 Corinthians 15.31, Paul comes out and he says, I die daily to my sin. Repentance comes about through a daily process. Amen. Amen. We must crucify our sinful nature through repentance. We deny ourselves so that we can then glorify God. Romans 6 verses 1 and 2 and verse 10 talks about dying to sin. How Christ died once on the cross to break the power of sin over our lives. We therefore must die to our sin spiritually because Christ died physically, so we wouldn't have to. Amen. The old spirit dies, and a new spirit is brought up. Amen. The old spirit of sin is dead, and the spirit of God lives within us. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? I'm finishing. Would you stand? 
God loved us enough to allow us the chance at eternal life through the gift of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who came to die on the cross for us so we wouldn't have to. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen, amen. So we wouldn't have to go through it. Amen. That's how you get to repentance. You've got to die to yourself. Not just one. It's not just a one and done situation. It's every day. Every day. We don't like dying to ourselves. I don't like it. I can tell you that. We got to keep ourselves in submission. Amen. We've got to. Paul had a thorn in his side to keep him in submission. Amen. Paul didn't like it either. But Paul said, you know what? I've come to the conclusion that I don't have to like it. Amen. But I know it's for the betterment of my soul. Praise God. (sighs) Sometimes God does out-of-pocket things to get us to repentance. He allows sorrow to get to us. He allows trials, tribulations, emptiness. God will pull out all the stops. He says, I want you. You might not want me, but I want you to know that I want you. Amen. God will do whatever he has to do to get a hold of us, to get to repentance. Praise God. We've covered the whole series, the whole situation. When do you repent? When's the best time to repent? Well, as quick as you can do it. Amen? As quickly as you can do it. Praise God. 2 Corinthians 6 says, Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait any longer. Do it now. Get it over with. Praise God. Walk in victory from here on out. Amen. 2 Peter chapter 3 says, God is not slacking off. God has not forgotten, I'm paraphrasing, of course, because I don't have time to read it all. God has not forgotten about his promised return, yet he's holding out. He's being patient. He's waiting for every last soul, whosoever would. He says, I'm waiting. Come, repent, get your life right. Praise God. The time is now. Don't wait. Don't wait until a more convenient time because that time may never come. Amen. Amen. The time is now. Praise God. Amen.